loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Dr. Bradley Nelson. Dr. Nelson is a holistic chiropractic physician and medical intuitive and one of the world's foremost experts in the emerging fields of bioenergetic medicine and energy psychology. His best-selling book, The Emotion Code, is helping people all over the world to improve their lives by rating themselves of, of imbalanced emotional baggage. Users of the Emotion Code technique have found freedom from emotional problems such as depression and anxiety, as well as physical problems, including fatigue, pain, and disease. A key element is removing emotional baggage that has clustered around the heart, interfering with one's ability to find love and success. And he's coined this cluster of emotions the heart wall. It's been called the most important discovery in the history of energy medicine. He graduated with honors from Life Chiropractic College West in California in 1988, and he specialized in helping those suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and successfully treated patients across the United States and Canada. And then after his retirement in 2004, focused more primarily on his body code and emotion code work. And we're happy to have him today. Welcome, Dr. Nelson. Well, thank you, Cheryl. It is great to be here. You know, I want to I want to start by uh, saying something that I appreciated in your book, which is uh, I have this idea that our subject here is grief. Of course, um, I have this idea that as long as emotions are moving through someone I'm working with, I'm not too worried. And that I only get concerned when uh, someone seems not to be moving, no matter how long. Yeah, I would totally. <laughs> you yeah. agree with that? It it seems so in your book, and I, I do, think that's. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, I I would be leery because I do think grief has uh, a real purpose, uh, and I wondered if you could start there. Uh, kind of how you see grief in the in the context of moving emotions and things that get stuck in that process. Well, I think that uh, I think that all of our emotions really are communications to us from the deepest part of our being, from the deep subconscious. And uh, I happen to believe that the the center of the subconscious mind is probably the heart. And um, and of course, we're going to talk about that more on your show. But I, I mean, imagine, yes. imagine being, uh, being close to someone and loving someone your whole life, and then that person uh, leaves. Maybe they die, or maybe it breaks up, or something. I mean, imagine not feeling grief. Imagine not feeling anything. I mean, emotions. That's are there when I really worry. <laughs> That's when right, I really right? worry. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, and that you know, and that can happen. Some people, sometimes people um, get to a point where they just can't uh, can't deal with their emotions, and they they shut them down and numb out. But all of our emotions are there to communicate with us, 
what I found when I was in practice is that um, no matter no matter what my patients were suffering from, whether they were young uh, or old, infants to very very aged people, uh, no matter what they'd been diagnosed with, whether it was some kind of a physical discomfort uh, with the back or the neck or the head, or whether it was uh, some other issue. Um, uh, mental, emotional issues, sadness, emptiness, loneliness. Um, what I found was that they all had something in common, and what they had in common was their emotional baggage. And so, you know, we talk about emotional baggage sometimes. Sometimes we use that phrase. Usually, when we use that phrase, uh, we're referring to somebody else, right? Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, that woman or that guy, he's just got a lot of emotional baggage not really realizing that there's a, a profound truth in that, in that little phrase, uh, emotional baggage. So what I found was emotional baggage is real and it causes a lot of our problems. Now, to understand what emotional baggage is, you have to understand that these bodies that we live in are really made of energy. Uh, in fact, um, I was just reading recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, where... Uh, physicists have theorized that if you could actually take out all of the empty space between all of the atoms and all the molecules and everything in a person's body, um, of course, they would shrink down to a point where you wouldn't be able to see them anymore. And actually, what they said was that if you could take out all the empty space in every single person's body that's alive on the earth right now, you could put all of humanity into a little box the size of a sugar cube. And that's really crazy. What an amazing thing. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And so these bodies of ours are pure energy, but we're not used to thinking of ourselves that way. We live in a three-dimensional, solid sort of a universe. And if you look at your hand, your hand looks pretty solid. And if you slap it down on the desk, it makes a nice thunk sound. You know, it seems three-dimensional, seems solid. But really, more than anything else, what physicists are telling us is that our bodies are really, more than, more than anything else, they're a, an energy field and a projection, really. And so um, what happens to us is sometimes we experience negative emotions. And when we're feeling those intense emotions on a quantum level, at the smallest, lowest level of reality that we know of, Uh, what we believe is that the body is taking on a particular frequency, a certain vibration. So, for example, if you're feeling an emotion of anger, that's a different frequency, a different emotion, a different vibration than an emotion of sadness, and that's different from um, terror, for example. Every emotion is different, and they all have their own vibrational frequency. And so sometimes what happens is, the energy of that emotion can simply become too powerful for the body to deal with. And what we believe is that that energy then can become trapped in the body. And we refer to this as a trapped emotion. And a trapped emotion appears to be a ball of literal emotional energy from about the size of a baseball to about the size of a softball. And these things can inhabit the body and can, uh, can be, and are an underlying cause in our experience of every disease process that, uh, that we've seen in 30 years, uh, all of the mental and physical and emotional disorders, there's an emotional component. Um, most of the discomfort that people have, uh, even very severe 
has an emotional component. The very first time that I saw this was actually probably about 30, about 30 years ago now. A patient came in to see me, and uh, she thought she was having a heart attack. And she had crushing chest pain, difficulty breathing. The left side uh, of her face was totally numb. Her left arm was totally numb. That looks like a heart attack, right? And yes, and she came into your person. office. She came into your yeah. office. Well, I, that wasn't a wise office, move, well, actually, was it? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I, she she probably should have just gone straight to the hospital. But I'd seen her before, and she trusted uh-huh. me. And so this had been getting worse for about twenty four hours. So I told my staff, you know, let, me, let me run some tests on her and, and uh, stand by. We might need an ambulance really quick. So, uh, so I did some testing on her, and uh, her vital signs checked okay and everything. And then very quickly, using the emotion code, I was able to find that she had a trapped emotion of grief, speaking of grief. And this mm-hmm. had happened about three years before. And I was able to determine that by tapping into her subconscious mind, which we'll talk about more in a little bit. But anyway, it didn't take long to figure this out, probably 30 seconds. And she burst into tears when I arrived at that. And she said, I can't believe that's affecting me. She said, I thought I dealt with all that. I said, well, what in the world happened to you? And she said that three years before, uh, her husband was having an affair and she found out about it and confronted him about it. And their marriage blew up and uh, she was really deeply in love with him and planned on being with him forever. But... um, that was the end of it, and their marriage ended, and uh, she cried buckets of tears over it and spent a year in therapy dealing with all of it, and had even recently gotten remarried. So as far as she was concerned, that grief that she had gone through with that guy, he was just her ex now, and she was forgetting all about it. She had a new husband now and everything. As far as she was concerned, it was all just history. But as far as her body was concerned, it was still holding that energy, and when I released that trapped emotion, and all of this took about one minute, I would say, total, because the emotion goes very fast. When I released that emotion, the feeling came back into her arm and into her face uh, within about three seconds. Whoosh. And the pain, the, uh, the, uh, the difficulty breathing, uh, that suddenly was gone. And um, it was really incredible. And she left the office about 10 minutes later after talking with me and my staff and joking around. And uh, after she left, I remember sitting at my desk and my, my head was just spinning. I thought, what in the world did I just witness? How is that possible? What was that? Mm. How can emotional baggage cause such a tremendously powerful physical response? Well, we now know that uh, people die of a broken heart, right? Right. I've heard they that. actually. Yeah, they discovered this in Japan, and um, in Japan, the fishermen have these little bell-shaped jars that they will put on the bottom of the ocean to fish for octopus, and a jar like that with this peculiar kind of bell shape is called a takatsubo, and so the Japanese doctors named this syndrome, uh, when people are dying of a broken heart, they, they called it Takatsubo syndrome. Because on an x-ray, and I've seen these x-rays, it's really amazing. The heart will take on the shape of this bell-shaped jar that the fishermen use in Japan. Mm-hmm. And it looks exactly like one of those jars. It's the craziest thing. Well, what they have found, and of course, even now in the, in the U.S., 
Uh, and in other Western countries, they've been forced to admit, yes, this is the heart failing um, for no apparent reason except for emotional trauma. Because what they find is that women, especially, who are over 55 years old, who have some traumatic emotional event happen, uh, sometimes die because their heart just literally fails. And Explaining um, why, so why sometimes thing. partners die so close together. I mean, that's a partial explanation for that fact, that uh, that spouses are are at much higher risk of dying within, I think it's a year or so, of of their spouse dying. Would you consider this part of that phenomenon? Right. Well, I think, yes, absolutely. And in fact, the classic story of that is um, from Doug Flutie, who I think was back in the 70s or maybe early 80s. He was... uh, he was a football player, very famous, uh, played for Boston. A few years ago, uh, his father had a heart attack and passed away in the hospital. And about an hour after his father had passed, he was there with his mother and grieving. Uh, and his mother leaned over to give her husband a kiss goodbye on the forehead and slumped over dead. He lost both his parents in the space of an hour. Well, this is a typical, uh, typical case where this intense emotional uh, event uh, just stops the heart. So people die literally of a broken heart. Now, if you think of this woman whose husband had the affair, who thought she was having a heart attack. I mean, she had all the symptoms of a heart attack. She should have gone to the ER. And what they would have told her, and this is not that unusual, they would have done some tests on her and they would have said, well, it wasn't a heart attack. Uh, all the normal, you know, all, all of your enzymes are normal. Your blood tests are normal. It wasn't your heart. Because if it's a heart attack, the blood test will show it. And they would have said, well, we don't really know what it was. She would have been in line to die of a broken heart. But because we released that emotional baggage from her, she's still alive 30 years later. And I'm, we're still friends. She's got a horse ranch in Oregon. So you think about this emotional baggage and how much baggage are, are you hauling around in your life? We all have it, and it's causing us to live diminished lives, really. I mean, if you think about, think about the times that you, when you were a kid and you cried yourself to sleep at night, or if you were bullied, or your parents went through a divorce, or think about the breakups that you went through in high school or junior high. And, you know, those emotions that we go through when we're kids are very, very powerful and very keenly felt. So a lot of us have emotional baggage going back to childhood. But not only that, um, we've got adulthood and we've got all the crazy things that we go through. It doesn't end, does it? (laughs) Right? No, it doesn't. It'd be great (laughs) if it ended in high school, but no, it just keeps going. But that's life. But, you know, we find with the emotion code that um, emotional baggage can become trapped in the body even when you're in the womb because of something that your mother maybe is experiencing and your mother's feeling an intense emotion and the baby can actually absorb that energy and develop a trapped emotion right in the womb. And in fact, uh, it's even possible to pick up emotional energy or trapped emotions at conception that are passed to you from mom or dad that they might have gotten at conception from their mom or dad and these can go back for generations. So, you know, many people might have thought that was a little bit uh, um, 
unfathomable. I'll I'll just use that word. But recently, there's been a lot of uh, DNA testing that right. uh, has actually uh, found evidence that that a trauma can be passed down through DNA six or seven generations. Yes, that's right. And in fact, um, they've done, uh, they, they actually did a, a research project on the grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. And what they found was that they, there were DNA changes for them, and uh, they're much more susceptible to stress. Uh, their uh, uh, aging hormones, their stress hormones are greatly elevated over the normal population. Why? Well, the only explanation is because of what their grandparents went through. And um, they've done studies with rats, for example, where uh, if a rat is in a maze and at a certain point in the maze, it receives a shock, uh, and then you take the rat out of that maze. Uh, Yes, those generations following, when they get to that point in the maze where great-great-great-grandpa was shocked, they'll stop dead in their tracks because they know Something happened there. Science is trying to figure out how this, uh, how this information is passed. And, um, and we've been doing uh, this work with in- these inherited energies that contain this information for many years now. And so it's no secret, really. Um, it's emotional baggage, in a sense. And in the same way that a, um, a rodent or an animal will pass down to its posterity... Uh, the information about some intense emotion that it went through to try to protect them and and prolong uh, their lives and perpetuate their posterity in that same way human beings do the same thing. So, for example, if you go through some intense, let's say you go through some intense financial crisis uh, and you have intense emotions that become trapped about that, then you have children, uh, you can pass that down to them. And it may interfere with their ability to make money uh, maybe for generations because of that energy that you went through because it's all encoded in there that that energy that they now have uh, has to do with money. And so you need to, the, the, the implicit message might be to stay away from money or from relationships or whatever. Mm. Really you know, I just, I just have one. Uh, I, I find it fascinating what you're talking about and, and interesting and I have one hesitation, which is uh, I work a lot with cancer, and there is so so that's my um, uh, the illness I know the most about psychologically, <laughs> and I know that people often uh, get diagnosed and then blame themselves. So I really want to uh, point out that in your book you you're not saying that the entire that everything is explained by emotions but just that they have a uh, an impact yeah. would that be correct but because i yeah, certainly wouldn't want to <laughs> wouldn't want to add to that equation at all <laughs> no for example um in the in in every cancer case that i've seen over the last 30 years uh, what i have found is that um there's always emotional baggage present. Uh, and I think that sometimes it may be the only underlying cause, um, but it's always a component. There are other things that obviously that contribute to cancer and so on, but, uh, but emotional baggage always is there. Um, 
to give you an idea, a fascinating uh, experience I had. There was a woman who came in to see me many years ago. She was about 72 years old, and she, uh, uh, I, she came to me for some help, and I started working with her. And the very first thing that showed up on her very first visit was that she had a trapped emotion. The emotion was sadness. And so as I'm testing her, uh, I'm finding that this, this is, it goes back quite a ways, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It goes back to 1963. Now, we can identify information like this because the subconscious mind holds all this data, and we tap into that uh, computer system, really, just using different forms of muscle testing. 1963, and so I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if this was about the assassination of JFK, because I'd seen that before, and so I verbalized that to her, and at the same moment that I'm getting a strong muscle test on her, strength is yes from the subconscious, a weak muscle test is no. At the same time that I'm getting the strong muscle test, she actually is breaking down and weeping, and she tells me, yes, that is, his assassination affected me so deeply. She said, and then when his son died, JFK Jr., in the plane crash, uh, she said it was like it all came back all over again, and all she could do for days was cry. And, uh, and so I thought to myself, gee, that's interesting, because this original trapped emotion of sadness was about JFK, and then another JFK died. And it, it was really exaggerated and, and really enhanced. And so the next thing I wondered is, gee, where has this emotional energy, this ball of energy, where has this been all these years? And so I tested her and I was asking questions and getting answers from her subconscious mind. And uh, I asked, is this on the right side of the body? No. The answer came back, weak, a weak muscle test. Is it on the left side? Yes. It turned out it was in the area of the left uh, chest wall, the left breast. And when we arrived at that, all of a sudden, the two of us stood there looking at each other uh, with wide eyes because we suddenly realized four years before she had had that breast removed because it was malignant. And so it's a fascinating thing, and it's definitely fertile ground for more study. But every case of cancer that I've seen um, always has emotional baggage. In fact, every disease process that I have seen during all the years that I was in practice uh, there was always an emotional component. And uh, so I think that in this woman's case, it may very well have been that just that one emotion because it was so intense, maybe, uh, maybe might have been the trigger for, that, uh, for those symptoms that she had that resulted in her breast being removed. I don't know. But uh, fertile ground for more study. Indeed. Yeah, I... I, I um... You know, I'm cautious <laughs> just because I know what people do with that. But it cannot hurt whether whether emotions get held because we're diagnosed is also a possibility in my mind. Uh, you know, such an emotional experience, but it sure. certainly can't can't well, hurt can to, to to learn some of these things. Um, right. So I think I think uh, let's go to a break and then come back and and uh, get into the specifics of how you actually do this because you make really clear in the book you think people can do it for themselves. Um, so let's let's share some of that information when we come back. 
Listeners, you'll find links to my website okay. and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America to like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, all of that. And find also a link to my novel, An Ocean Between Them, if you're interested in in reading a, a story of grief and redemption. And to find Bradley, Dr. Bradley Nelson, you can go to discoveryhealing.com or also emotioncodegift.com where you can read a couple chapters of the book. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere. Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Dr. Bradley Nelson. We've been talking about his book and and the practice he participates in called uh, The Emotion Code. And uh, Bradley, I want to get a little more specific because we could be sounding kind of what we in California call (laughs) woo-woo. You know, Mm -hmm. not that I object to that. Sure. But but actually, uh, your protocol is pretty... um, practical, I guess I would say, and pretty simple in some ways. And I wondered if you could just kind of give people a sense, how do you, how do you discover trapped emotions? How do you verify them? Um, mm-hmm. You know, how does that all come about? Well, 
uh, it's important, first of all, to understand the difference between the conscious and the subconscious mind. You know, the conscious mind, of course, is where we spend all of our waking hours. Uh, when we go to sleep, the subconscious mind takes over, but the subconscious mind never sleeps. It's always running. It's keeping the air moving in and out of our lungs, keeping our blood moving, creating new, you know, three million new red blood cells every minute and so on. And that part of us uh, is a holographic computer system, I think. It, it remembers everything we've ever done. Every face you've ever seen in a crowd, everything you've ever eaten or tasted or touched or smelled, it's all in there. In fact, they found that uh, under certain circumstances, people who are having brain surgery will have memories come back to them uh, that would normally be unremembered if the brain is touched with an electrode in a certain spot. And if they touch that same spot again, that same memory will come back. So, uh, And these are memories that would normally not be remembered. And so really, we're, we're storing all this information. And the subconscious mind then is really where we have to go. There are a lot of methods out there uh, that will rely on the subject or the, the client or the patient uh, to come up with the answers about what's really wrong with them or why they're having issues. But um, what we believe is that the subconscious mind knows all the answers. It knows with a perfect understanding why a person is manifesting cancer or some other kind of problem, the subconscious mind knows. And we believe that the future is asking the subconscious mind. Now, as far as finding trapped emotions, um, how do we do that? Well, what we have found is that the body is basically a biofeedback machine. In other words, uh, in other words, if I were standing there with you, Cheryl, if you were to hold your arm out parallel to the floor and then try to resist uh, as I press down on the end of your arm, uh, you're, you should be able to resist me. If you were to say, my name is Cheryl, that would be a true statement, and your body would remain strong. If, however, you were to say something that's incongruent or untrue, like my name is Jim, if you were to say that, and if I were to press down on your arm, your arm would automatically weaken. And, of course, this is, uh, this is kinesiology, or it's a form of biofeedback that's used all over the world and has been for many, many years. But what we do is uh, we use this ability of the body to ask questions and ask them in such a way that we are able to find and uncover people's emotional baggage, literally their trapped emotions. So uh, to give you an idea, for example, I had a man that came into me um, many years ago who had uh, really severe discomfort in his low back. He was a nine on a zero to 10 scale, 10 is go to emergency and been going on for a while. And uh, I had him hold out his arm parallel to the floor and I started asking some questions. And when I asked, um, do you have a trapped emotion that's contributing to this discomfort in your back? I got a very strong answer out of his body. So at that point, what we do, that's a yes answer. And so his subconscious mind was saying, yes, there's an emotional component to this problem. Well, then we have a chart of emotions that we use, and uh, you can go to Google and just type in uh, trapped emotion chart, and you'll find there's millions of them out there. And um, there are 60 emotions on this chart, and it's divided into six uh, rows and two columns. And so then we simply ask, where is the emotion on the chart? Is it in column A or B? And the subconscious mind will either give you a strong yes answer or a weak no answer. And so we're able quickly to identify the column. Then we do that same process to identify the row. We'll ask, 
Is this emotion in one of the odd rows or an even row? And then we narrow it down quickly to the exact row and column. And then there are five emotions in that cell. And then we'll ask, well, is it, for example, if you're in column B, row six, it might be, uh, is it, you can ask these questions. Is it pride? Maybe that's a no. Shame? No. Shock? No. Maybe unworthy goes strong. That's the emotion. And then we ask, do we need to know more about this? In other words, does the subconscious mind need to have us uh, uh, dig deeper and bring more to conscious awareness about this emotion before uh, it can be released? And sometimes, uh, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. So that's what I'm doing with this man, if you can imagine. I'm asking questions, and I find that he has a trapped emotion of grief, or sorry, anger, anger. And I asked, uh, do we need to know more about this? And the subconscious mind came back with a strong muscle test. So I asked, okay, well, when did this occur in the last, Five years, that was weak for no. Last, um, it, it turned out that it was about 20 years before that this had happened. And he remembered. Uh, he had been through something really difficult and traumatic and remember being very angry. Well, that emotion was too much for him to process. That energy got stuck in his body. And when I released that emotion, uh, and we release an emotion by passing a magnet or fingertips down the governing meridian. And the governing meridian is a little river of energy, uh, one of the main acupuncture meridians. It flows, starts at the tailbone and goes straight up the back, over the top of the head to the inside of the upper lip. And you just pass a magnet or your fingertips over any length of that meridian just a few times. And uh, this excruciating discomfort that he had went from a nine to a zero um, within about a half a second. Just boom, it was gone instantly. And he couldn't believe it. And he's bending over and walking around and exclaiming. And, and I was grateful that it worked so well. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> and he left the office feeling, no, yeah, yeah, he left the office feeling totally fine. But here's the interesting thing. Two days later, he came back in to see me. And here's what he said. He said, you know, my, my back is fine. He said, I still can't believe it. It's like a miracle. But he said, when I came in here, I had another problem going on. I had another issue I didn't tell you about. He said, for as long as I can remember, I've basically been what you would call a rageaholic. He said, it's just who I am, or so I thought. He said, I'm always yelling at my wife and my kids. I've got to watch the road rage. I've been to anger management several times. Hasn't really helped me. And he said, since you released that emotional energy, that trapped emotion of anger from me, I feel like a different person. He said, I don't feel angry anymore. I just feel kind of relaxed and peaceful and things don't set me off that used to just put me through the roof. He said, now I, it doesn't bother me. How did you do that? How does that work? And at the time, I had no explanation for him. But what we believe is that when you have a trapped emotion in the body, like in this guy's case, he had a trapped emotion, this ball of anger that was actually distorting the normal energy field of the body. Now, if you can imagine that what quantum physicists all these years have been telling us is true, that the human body is nothing but an energy field, and you introduce a trapped emotion, literally in this case a ball of anger, into that field, then what you're doing is you're distorting that normal energy field of the body 24-7. And so month after month, year after year, he was having this low-level distortion going on in his energy field until finally it brought him in to see me because he can't stand it because it's hurting so bad. But the other thing that was going on is that when a situation would come along in his life where he might tend to feel the emotion of anger, he would. He would feel that emotion. He would slide right into that frequency, right into that resonance much more easily, much more readily than he otherwise would have. Why? Because literally part of his body was feeling that emotion of anger 
24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so if you think about it, we all have this emotional baggage, right? And it can be, the results can happen sometimes very rapidly and you, and you never know. Um, and one of the most important things really about the, in fact, the most important thing about the emotion goat has to do with the heart. And it's very important to our discussion here today because um, let me set the stage here. What happened back in the 1960s when medical doctors first started doing heart transplants, um, they started noticing that people sometimes would come back and relate strange tales. They would talk about how their taste in music or sports or food had totally changed or how they suddenly had memories of places since their surgery, since their transplant, had memories of being in places that they never in their lives had visited. And sometimes even their handwriting would change. And in every case, when they were taken back uh, and connected to the family of the heart donor, they would find out, oh my gosh, yes, that's our son's handwriting that you have now. How strange is that? Or they would find out that, yes, our daughter was a concert violinist, and that must be why you love classical music now, and you have those songs that you keep playing over and over. Those were her favorite pieces. Or they would find out, uh, uh, yes, our, our son loves pizza and you never used to, but now you do. I mean, there are whole books written about this, right? It's called cellular memory. Mm. Well, there are studies that have been done. And you see, Western medicine has really not paid much attention to the heart. Ancient societies, however, believed the heart to be the seat of the soul, the source of love, the source of romance and creativity. And they believed that uh, the heart was all of those things. And so in our day... Those ancient ideas uh, are, are still carried forward. So, for example, Cheryl, if it's Valentine's Day and you're, you're lucky, maybe somebody gives you a heart-shaped box of something yummy, right? <laughs> the heart. <laughs> Unless I'm trying to lose pounds. The heart. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. that feeling. Exactly. <laughs> well, but anyway, what, what happens is we believe that the, um, the heart – is just exactly what the ancients believed it to be. In fact, um, science now is showing that the heart is much more than just a pump. The heart puts out a, a magnetic field, a biomagnetic field that surrounds the body up to 12 feet or more in diameter. And studies have shown that uh, when one person is feeling love or affection for another person, their heartbeat will become measurable in the brain waves of that other person. Think about that. Mm-hmm. And this is using the most advanced, most sensitive equipment that we have in the world today. So there's this communication going on between all of us. Well, as strange as it may seem, what we have found is that when you feel like your heart is going to break, and by the way, that will create a physical sensation that most people have felt at one point or another, right? For sure. If you're really deeply hurt, right? And you've probably felt that at some point. Well, sure, if that's feeling grief that, is very physical, yeah. for instance. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, loss. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, and, it, and it, it takes place right there in the chest, right in the heart. You can feel like there's uh, an elephant sitting on your chest or you're like you're choking, like you can't breathe. And so there are these words in all the societies all over the world that try to describe this. It's called heartache. It's called heartbreak here in, in English. Um, but there are similar words in every other language that I've seen. And so it's a universal human experience. Well, when that heart is under assault, uh, remember the heart is much more than a pump. We believe it really truly is a second brain. In fact, a few years ago, scientists were doing studies 
looking at the nerve communication between the brain and the heart. And they were expecting that the vast majority of the impulses would be carrying information from the brain to the heart. What they found was the exact opposite, and it blew their minds because the vast majority of information is going from the heart to the brain, and that turned everything upside down for them. You see, the heart that is in your brain is obeying the messages sent by that heart brain of yours. The heart is another brain. So when, you feel, uh, when you're feeling really deeply grieved or really hurt and you're feeling that emotion, um, those emotions that, that tend to result in feeling like your heart is going to break, the subconscious mind will put a wall up around your heart. And we found that that wall, uh, the subconscious mind creates this wall. It's an invisible thing. But the wall is literally made from layers of your emotional baggage, and we call it the heart wall. And so this is the most important, most significant, most dangerous byproduct, in my opinion, of a really severe bout with grief. Because what it will do then is you'll end up with this wall around your heart, and it's an invisible wall. It's, a, it's an attempt by the subconscious mind to protect your heart from being ever totally damaged, uh, to be ever broken maybe again. And so the problem is then you end up living life in a, in a diminished way. It interferes, we believe, with your immune system function. It interferes with your ability to give and receive love, uh, to really connect fully with other people. Let me tell you a story. There was a woman that came into me once for neck pain. She'd seen a couple of other doctors for it wasn't getting better. So she came in to see me. And as I was talking with her, she told me that she was 38 years old. She was a nurse and uh, she was single, basically celibate. She said she hadn't dated in eight years. She was never, ever going to date again. She was going to die a single woman. And uh, she was an attractive person. And I said, well, why do you, uh, why do you feel this way? What happened to you? And she said that eight years before she was really deeply in love with this guy who dumped her and broke her heart. And so I tested her to see if she had this heart wall phenomenon going on, and she did. And uh, there were three emotions that had become trapped in her body during that breakup. She was really in love with that guy, and it just was a disaster. And so those emotions became incorporated into this energy wall around her heart. And in the beginning, you mentioned how this has been called the most important discovery in the history of energy healing, and it's true, energy medicine. And it's true. And what happened with her was I released those three emotions. Now, she came into me for this really severe neck problem. And when I released that last emotion from this wall around her heart, that discomfort was gone instantly, completely gone. And she left the office feeling totally fine and didn't come back. Three months later, she walks back into my office. And I'll always remember this. Um, and I, she looked great. And I said, hey, you look great. I haven't seen you for a while. How are you? And she said, you know, my neck has been fine since I was here. But she said you cleared that heart wall from me and that really works because she said about two weeks after I was here, I found out my childhood sweetheart has been living right around the corner from me for almost eight years and we're dating and we're in love. And I think he's going to ask me to marry him. And I thought, wow, what, what an amazing shift. So think about this for eight years, her, old boyfriend, her childhood sweetheart, had been living right around the corner from her, but she'd never run into him in eight years until suddenly that wall was taken down. Why? It's an energetic phenomenon. 
Um, it's an amazing thing. And the, um, the reality of it is, you know, we really truly energetically are all connected. I mean, if you look out at the ocean and you see these islands out there, they look separate. But if you drain the ocean, you see, oh, they're actually all connected. And that's how it is with all of us. One of our practitioners told me a story where her sister had been divorced for eight years or nine years, and she'd been alone all that time. And she finally had decided that she wanted to, she was tired of being alone and wanted to have a relationship. And so she called her sister up and she said, listen, why don't you come over and work on me? I probably have a heart wall. And so her sister did, worked on her and was able to clear her heart wall that weekend. And neither one of them said anything to anybody else. And this will sound fanciful, but, you know, (laughs) welcome to the 21st century. What (laughs) happened was, even though neither one of them had told anyone else, that energy goes out there into the universe, into the world. And uh, the following week, her phone started ringing. And men that she had met before, that she hadn't talked to in years, suddenly were calling her because we're all connected, you see. And so um, it's not unusual for people to end up after an extreme bout of grief uh, or, uh, or being heard in some intense way uh, to end up with depression. Uh, and one of the things that we have seen is that um, within about three weeks' time, we, we're just completing a, a research study on this, and uh, we're finding that when the heart wall is taken down, uh, within about a week after that, we're seeing about a 30, I believe a 37% increase or decrease in symptoms of PTSD, and I believe it's a 36% decrease in symptoms of depression um, just from having the heart wall removed. And so we're excited to publish this information, uh, this data really soon. So can so, uh, a couple of questions I have that I don't that I don't want to miss on asking you. One is, <clears throat> so my general principle is that things are there for a reason. They sometimes get out of balance, and so being able to say protect our heart, as an example, uh, has a purpose, right? <laughs> you know, but um, uh, d- are there times when? The body just says no to clearing a trapped emotion that that um, the subconscious says, no, I still need that. Yeah, especially have with you, the have, heart wall. Um, yeah. In fact, one of the things that we do, um, if we find that someone has a heart wall, the next question is, can we remove an emotion from your heart wall now? And a certain percentage of the time, uh, the subconscious mind will answer no. And in that case, uh, what we have found is that uh, if we leave that person uh, to uh, and leave their subconscious mind to kind of weigh things and then come back maybe in a week or so, usually that subconscious mind will have weighed things out and realized uh, it's better to not have this than it is really to have it. Uh, it's there for a reason. It's like when the bombs are falling, you know, you want to put your heart into a bunker. Uh, <laughs> For sure. The problem is when the bombs stop falling, you know, when, when the bully moves away or the divorce is finalized, um, you know, you still have your heart living in a bunker. And so you end up living a diminished kind of life, you see. And uh, when that wall is taken down... People have told us that for the first time in their life, they can feel God's love for them. They can feel joy. Uh, People fall in love, even at advanced ages who never, ever thought they would. Uh, 
people uh, oftentimes become much closer. These are the kind of, uh, kinds of things that people report to us. And we have over 5,000 testimonials now unsolicited from literally all over the world um, that, uh, that this, this works. And um, it's really an amazing thing. I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that, uh, that this goes on, that the subconscious mind puts up this invisible wall of energy. I mean, I don't have that kind of an imagination, but, um, but that <laughs> is literally what's going on. And what we have found is that 93% of people uh, seem to have this heart wall phenomenon going on, and it's diminishing everybody's lives and, uh, on, on the whole entire planet. And we believe that the reason why this is so important is because uh, not only is it important on an individual level, but also on a macro scale, if we can get, in, get rid of enough of these, um, we believe it uh, has the potential to really change, uh, change everything in this world. Well, uh, I, was, I was interested in, in one little, uh, uh, it, it passed very quickly in your book, but it stuck with me, that um, if you have these kinds of walls and, and trapped emotions, you actually can't fully feel, which allows you then to do harm to other people, speaking of the current state of the world, uh, it's much easier to harm someone that you have no feeling about, that you don't see their humanity or you don't see, you know, your own. Um, and so I wonder what impact it might have at that kind of yeah. level that um, we, we've, we've, we've grown hard. Uh, I, I encountered yeah. um, someone who taught me quite a bit about the grief practices in a place called Burkina Faso. It, which is in Africa, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, when they when they experience a loss, uh, it is expected that the entire village will wail and moan and pray and you know a lot of expression, which in my in my book would would help things move. It's less likely in those conditions oh, that things are going to get trapped. Yes, you know, totally you're agree. you're going through it, and um, it just occurs to me that the way that we've foreshortened grief might have a great deal to do the way that we're not supposed to have big feelings about anything and they're supposed to pass quickly and um, is part of how it becomes 93%. Do you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think and it would be a fascinating thing to go to a, a tribe like that and, and actually do some testing and see what kind of numbers we get on them compared to the, the rest of the world. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. Um, not allowing ourselves to really feel these emotions, um, burying these emotions, um, and kind of being somewhat isolated, uh, I think, are all reasons for this. You know, it's fascinating to think that um, we have, everyone has two brains, really. They've got a brain in their head. And I believe that all the great teachers from, from Christ to Buddha were all really trying to teach us to use this brain that's in our hearts to mm. operate from that brain, really. And, um, and so what happens to us is we're operating from this brain that's in our heads because the vast majority of the population uh, has a heart that's walled off. And so we end up... I mean, here we are. Think about it. We're in the 21st century now, and, and yet um, you see the brain that's in the head doesn't feel anything. The brain and the heart feels. Well, it's extremely the, the undependable. Your head it's not that wise. It's a good servant, but 
<laughs> the wisdom doesn't come from well, I there. I would agree. My view. <laughs> yeah, I would, yeah. The, the, the brain that's in our heads, you know, here we are in the 21st century, and we are still believing, after all these centuries, that, uh, you know, using war to settle differences between nations is, is an acceptable thing. Shouldn't be, right? But it is. And so this is one of the things that we see when people have that wall taken down, uh, things change. In fact, I have to read you this story. Um, this, is, uh, this is from the new Emotion Code book that's just been released, the, the new revision. This is called A Mom is Finally Appreciated. I have been suffering with attachment issues my whole life and just thought that that was how my life was going to be. The crazy thing about removing the heart wall is that it immediately changes the energy around you so that others around you act differently toward you. I had been fighting with my 14 and 16-year-old daughters a lot and felt that they just did not appreciate me and didn't care for me at all. My 14-year-old had said on many occasions that she didn't care to have a relationship with me, and I felt that there was no hope in our relationship. Within a few short hours of removing my heart wall, they had gotten together and were talking about me, and my older daughter started to explain to my younger daughter how much I do for them and how I grew up and what I had to deal with as a child. After their conversation, I got a super nice text from my older daughter saying that she appreciated me and thanking me for everything I do for them. I was shocked because I never get text messages like that from her. When I got home, my husband said, you have to come upstairs right now. I followed him upstairs and he showed me a three page letter that my 14 year old had written and placed on my bed. I couldn't believe what I was reading. She explained that she and her sister were talking and that she realized that she was way too hard on me and explained that she could only imagine me growing up in the situation that I was in and that it was okay for me to be the way I am. The weirdest thing she said was in a few short hours, my whole way of thinking about you has changed. She said it must've been God. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I could only attribute it to the heart wall being removed. I shared this story with my sister, and she said, well, that brings new meaning to the saying, change must start from within. <laughs> so that's from Leslie, a <laughs> uh, woman Great named conclusion. Leslie M. Well, you know, we're getting, we're getting close to the end of the day. That's a wonderful story for the end. And, and I guess what I want to say is um, that, you know, I've, uh, if we had another hour, I'd love to talk about other ways because, of course, I've seen many heart walls come down in my office. Um, but I think you have um, certainly a uh, tool to put in the box because um, especially if someone is at the point where they're ready to let go, uh, I imagine it's extremely effective. And um, I really appreciate you uh, sharing it with us. Well, absolutely. The, you know, the beautiful thing about it is it's so simple and so easy to do. One more story in closing here. Uh, you know um, what? We're not going to have enough time. We have, we have exactly oh, exactly a minute. So <laughs> I think we oh, won't no. get that okay. far today. But I hope people will go find yeah, you uh, at discoverhealing.com and emotioncodegift.com because uh, I, I practice some of the stuff, of course, leading up to getting ready to do the interview, and it's really pretty easy to pick up on. So I think people can do it for themselves with a little, with a little bit of um, diligence. So thanks so much for being here. Appreciate all the information. Well, thank Next you, Cheryl. Week, uh, appreciate you having me on. 
You're welcome. Next week, I'll have Joanne Steen. We'll talk about her book, We Regret to Inform You, a guide for supporting gold star families who've lost a close family member while they're serving in the military. The loss of her husband while he was serving led her life in a completely new direction. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.